summer with AC Pro and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get a $15 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card after mail-in rebate with the purchase of select AC Pro ready-to-use refrigerant products that include a hose and gauge. Beat the heat before you hit the road with AC Pro at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. I'm Pamela Clark, founder and director of the New Heights Educational Group. And I'm here with David Smith, the founder of Silicon Valley High School, who has helped us get these podcasts produced and delivered to you. Yes, Pamela, when we saw the great things that you and your army of volunteers were achieving at New Heights, we wanted to get involved. We're happy to work with you to leverage the internet and make quality education accessible and affordable to everyone, everywhere. Thank you, David. We appreciate Silicon Valley High School helping us to get these podcasts out to the hundreds of thousands of listeners from all over the world. So I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to New Heights Show on Education. This is your host, Kathy Woodring. This week's topic is the good of corporations, part two. Right now, you might be struggling through your classes or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might have even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group educational resources to help reach your goals. Now to the show topic, the good of corporations, part two. Continuing from the last episode, stating that there arose in 17th century Holland and Britain those extraordinary institutions, limited liability, insurance underwriting, the joint stock company, and the stock exchange. That separated commercial corporations from the individuals who composed them and endowed them with a life of their own. We are, we are associative creatures, and when we associate, we create commodities, clubs, and little, little platoons, and imbue these collective entities with our, our own moral character. Even in business, this is true. All firms that fail to arouse a sense of membership or to give cause, however slight, for pride, will suffer from a rapid turnover of their workforce. The Hobby Lobby case spotlights this fact, since it reminds us of the very many firms in America, especially those family-friendly, friendly, especially those family firms that are integral to the life of the communities where they are situated that are not merely associations for the pursuit of profit, but real moral persons in the life of their members. The corollary is that limiting legal protections for associations will harm both individuals and society as a whole. Our vision of corporate persons has been soured by recent events, most notably by the worldwide banking crisis of 2008. To many people, it seemed then that the corporation is no more than a mask behind which individuals can escape from their liabilities, paying themselves outrageous bonuses for performance, and at the very moment when others are being bankrupted by their 
are being bankrupted by their irresponsible actions. In response to this situation, some people were tempted by a version of the Islamic view that there is no such thing as a corporation with rights and duties of its own, that limited liability is simply a way to avoid obligations, and that in any case, speculations that involve loans at interest and insurance against failure are attempts to forestall the will of God and therefore forbidden to all who would faithfully serve him. On this view, the corporate legal form, a particular piece of Western institution building, is fatally marked by the hubris and blasphemy that the dangers of the institution building that are the dangers of the institution building in all its forms. Tempting as though the radical approach might be, it would involve rejecting a long tradition of creative jurisprudence on which Western economies have depended since the 17th century. The banking catastrophe of recent times have not been caused by defects in the law of of corporations. They have been largely the result of a breakdown in loyalty and and accountability of which the banks have been as much the victims as the cause. They show us that the corporate form is designed to express and protect something else, which is the collective agency of a group of people, just as wayward business as just as a wayward husband harms the marriage as much as his wife, the corporate director who votes himself a bonus while the employees take the full cost of the firm's collapse is cheating the firm as much as he is cheating his fellow members of it. One reason for suspicion of the corporate form in our times is that the larger of the entity the easier it is for the individual to avoid taking responsibility for his role within it and it is easier and the easier it is to use the shell of legal identity to hide a disease or absent to hide a diseased or absent experience of membership in these situations the justification for the legal protection is a term attenuated precisely because the real organic corporate entity is missing or imperfect. But rather than focus on the atypical diseased member of the class, we should consider the fate of the healthy, smaller corporations in which the legal shell is built around a real personality. When Alexis de Tocqueville praised the associative genius of the American people, Seeing in it a counterbalance to the, quote, tyranny of the majority, it was because he had noticed that the values, duties, and responsibilities of Americans are shaped by the institutions they create and the clubs that they join. Edmund Burke had something similar in mind when he traced the English form of civil order in the little platoons that shaped social values of the individual citizen. And George Wilhelm Frederick Hegel gave a comparable role to the corporations as the heart of civil society, associations, and the moral life of the community. Philosophically speaking, 
There is a question about the personality of associations that is not reducible to the question of their legal personality. English law has long recognized the existence of the unincorporated association. An equitable conquest of the trust emerged partly in order to deal with the rights and duties that pertain to such things. In the United States, there is a similar concept in partnership law. Yet to assess why the corporate form is important and what is at stake, we must explore the real meaning of associations in the moral life of the community, whether or not the law has conferred an explicit identity on them. There is a certain amount of philosophical literature on this topic, although it is fair to say that it has not properly entered the discussions of philosophers in the Anglo-American tradition in which with a few exceptions, the methodological individualism of Karl Popper prevails. According to Popper, we should treat all social entities in terms of the individuals who compose them and attempt to explain the larger changes in the social order in terms of the acts, desires, and needs of the individuals. To attribute will, knowledge, rights, and duties to a collective is to violate, violate the methodological association on which the scientific sociology depends. However, there is one work of considerable importance that breaks radically with the Anglo-American tradition. Michael Novak's Toward a Theory of the Corporation, Toward a Theology of the Corporation. This book has been unaccountably neglected in recent discussions. Despite being of direct relevance to an understanding of the corporation's place in the religious view of human commodity communities, the author therefore will return to it below after summarizing his own perspective. It is helpful to distinguish three kinds of natural associations or groupings. There are our associations that exist for a specific purpose, in particular, businesses that aim to trade in a marketable product. There are associations that exist purely for the benefit of membership, such as clubs and discussion groups. And there are associations that, while endowed with specific purposes, are something more than mere means to a given end, possessing an ethos and a personality that are appreciated for their own sake. Traditional army regiments are examples of this third kind of association, they are the English public schools. They are so are the English public schools. Churches too belong to this category, and it is the, through the study of churches that discussion of the corporate person entered the philosophy of law in England and Scotland during the 19th century. In the case of the of an association for a specific purpose, there is often a contractual relation between the members but very few associations are of a purely contractual character. The normal, business, the normal business offers more and demands more than the contract specifies, and this fact has gradually made its way into employment law. With provisions for unfair dismissal, conduct in the workplace, and pensions, and welfare contributions built into the relationship between the parties, whether or not specified in a contract. 
like martial law and family law, employment law reflects the view that obligations accumulate through association, that these obligations are non-contractual, and that people do not merely agree to join the firm, but also rapidly come pend on it. It is partly for this reason that associations require a personality. People invest in them beyond what they have contracted to invest. They are places of friendship. Their members put themselves out for each other, staying late at work so that someone can go home early to look after the sick child or confronting each other in times of trial. These are office parties. There are office parties and special days in the workplace, and many firms start the day with a prayer or set aside hours for meditation. The point can be put in another way. However, however purposeful are our associations, they are quickly overlaid with embellishments that lie outside their primary purpose. The real goal of human life in all its forms is the association that is an end in itself. And however much our associations come into being as means, they will gravitate of their own accord in that direction so as to acquire some of the purposeless purposeless and self-sustaining character of love and friendship. It is in this way that a business becomes a we, a genuine first-person plural that can be loved and hated, resented and admired independently of its legal reality as a bearer of rights and duties in law. This podcast is brought to you by Silicon Valley High School, the world's fastest-growing, video-based, self-paced, teacher-supported, fully-accredited online school that's recommended by more than 96% of students. Take individual courses at just $95 each or earn your high school diploma at any age. Check us out at svhs.co. That is of course, even more obviously true of the other kinds of associations to which was referred. Though clubs and society, through clubs and societies, people grow as social beings, practicing and overcoming their spontaneous competitiveness and enjoying the mutual recognition that fortifies their personal autonomy. It is through associations of this kind that people most easily acquire their values, Joining is also homecoming, gaining a moral personality. Empiricists and individuals insist that an association, however constituted, is never more than the individuals who compose it, arguing that while associations cannot exist without their members, the members can exist without the associations. So the individuals are mere basic the true components of society, the things that are ontologically prior. This view, however, depends on an improvised theory of personality. It is true that associations acquire personality because of the individuals who compose them, but it is also true that individuals acquire personality because of associations to which they belong. The question of which comes first, the individual individual or the association, is unanswerable once we recognize that person that personality is in all its forms a social product, a result of the I a result of the I thou relationship that joins people in mutual recognition. 
Personality in its fullest sense involves a robust understanding of the rights and duties of rights and duties. It is something more than biological consciousness. It comes through culture, mutual sympathy, and the awareness that I am both self and other, just as you are. Personality is gradually wrested from the world through the associations we make and that and that make us answerable to others. To gain a moral personality in the rights and duties that go with it is automatically to acquire what Francis Herbert Bradley was to call a station in the social world. The various forms of fellowship, from the immediate union of the family through the mediated associations in clubs and common enterprises, to the fully realized forms of association in a civil society in the state are the instruments of our own self-development, and without them, we could not become what we are. It is by virtue of the moral personality of associations that the individual personality emerges, and vice versa. Associations exert a tutelage over their members, demanding the recognition of objective rights and duties that is the meaning that is the meaning of the boy scouts for example as it is of terms and clubs that grow through the school and the church the individual owes something to family and community and it is through recognizing this that he or she acquires the conception of an objective of an objective obligation an obligation that arises independently of any consent of it and therefore lies in the nature of things. Hence the importance of the second and third kinds of associations mentioned above, which stand in non-contractual relations to their members and whose meaning cannot be captured in terms of an agreement. Recent discussions that take the firm in their principal example fail to engage with what Hegelian argument and indeed beg the most important question in taking the freely contracting individual as their starting point. Individuals come into existence, the Hegelians argue, already marked by the ties of membership, which compel them to recognize and to honor the personality of the institutions. Without those ties, they would not possess the autonomy that is necessary for any contractual undertaking. All the features all the features to which Novak refers are a matter of degree. And and all must be tempered if they are to be an acceptable part of the democratic order. Michael Novak's plea for a theology of corporations for a thea- Michael Novak's plea for a theology of the corporation arises from the sense that the law does not create the personality of corporations but merely acknowledges it. Novak believes that corporate personality is conferred in some way by the workings of the Holy Spirit for corporations have the marks of divine grace. 
The best of them are creative, free, with virtuous character and insight, their primary capital. Take risk on behalf of others and themselves and stand in a comfortable relation to other members. All of the features to which Novak refers are a matter of degree and all must be tempered if they are to be an acceptable part of the democratic order. The legal instruments evolved not merely to protect corporations and their assets, but also to restrain them, and as corporations become bigger and more anonymous, so do their as so do their personal attributes decline. In these cases they cease to be creative, lose all insight and innovation, take fewer and fewer risks, reach out for subsidies and handouts, and wither to the mass that are rightly criticized in popular culture. Again, however, when considering the place of corporations in modern body politic, we should not focus on the monsters that are too big to fail, but on the little platoons of Burke and and Tocqueville, the associations that depend on their personality and make a gift of it to their members. A family firm like Hobby Lobby lies at the edge of this kind of association. It would not exist were it not for the profit motive, but it also offers a kind of membership to its workforce and tries to live up to values other than those that can be measured in economic terms. It is, in a real sense, greater than the sum of its parts and should be treated as such. The Assault on Free Association The points... The points at issue here become clearer if we acknowledge that since the Enlightenment, there has been an, a continuous assault on free association by the state. There are two fundamental reasons for this. On one hand, the state is a jealous god, eager to in, ensure that no rival obedience can threaten its monopoly of force. One good reason that governments might occasionally crowd out certain small associations, such as street gangs or violent militias, is that if it does not, such organizations might fill any power vacuum, as happens in so-called failed states. On the other hand, factions can use the state in order to suppress opinions and activities that offend some moral, religious, or doctrinal scruple. Whether or not these opinions and activities are criminal in any natural understanding of the term, this sort of capture encourages government to crowd out organic associations, not for good motives, but for bad motives. In our time, the state has never been more threatening than when it has set out to destroy free associations, for then it makes itself the enemy of civil society and is on on the path toward totalitarian control. The destruction of little platoons is indeed usually the first policy of any revolutionary government. Thus, on August 18, 1792, the French revolutionaries decreed that a state that is truly free ought not to suffer within its bosom any corporation not even such as being dedicated to public instruction have merited well of the prayer party. That was the prelude to the closing of private schools and the confiscation confiscation of the assets of small clubs and societies. 
that had grown around the church, whether for the relief of poverty or for the sake of companionship and worship. The effect was a depersonalization of society as associations lost their personal identities and were reduced to mere concentrations of power, which were in turn seized by the state. The process of depersonalization was later resuscitated by Valdemir Valdemir Lenin through the device of the Potemkin. All associations were to be infiltrated by the Communist Party and made subservient to it. They could retain no autonomy, and any attempt to do so was visited with the harshest punishment. Particularly important, of course, were the churches, since they offered membership as a complete way of life. The Russian Orthodox Church was forced to become the servant of the party. These churches, which were not infiltrated, were those churches which were not infiltrated were suppressed, and all corporate action by religious bodies other than the act of worship was forbidden. The good of corporations will be finished with the next episode, and we will start with the life of Alexis de Tocqueville. Alexis de Tocqueville was a French sociologist and politician Born in 1805, deaf, 1859. He traveled to the United States in 1831 to study its prisons. He wrote Democracy in America in 1835, one of the most influential books of the 19th century. With its trenchant observations on equality and individualism, Tocqueville's work remains a valuable explanation of America to Europeans and of Americans to themselves. A quick note from the April 20th, 2014 script, The Story of Bacon's Rebellion. Bacon's Rebellion, fought from 1676 to 1677, began with a local dispute with the Doeg Indians on the Potomac River, chased north by Virginia militiamen also who also attacked an otherwise uninvolved Susquehannocks. The Indians began raiding the Virginia frontier. The governor, Sir William Berkeley, persuaded the General Assembly to adopt a plan that isolated the Susquehannocks while bringing in Indian allies on Virginia's side. Others saw in the Susquehannock War an opportunity for a general Indian war that would yield Indian slaves and lands and would vent to popular anti-Indian sentiment. They found that leader in Nathaniel Bacon, a recent arrival to Virginia, and a member of the governor's council. Thank you to all the military members that have served our country, making America one of the most peaceful countries to live in. Every day is a good day to thank a veteran. Good night, everyone, and have a wonderful week. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org for monthly announcements and other happenings. Imagine your new bathroom. 
A sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bath Fitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bath Fitter, 35 years of better bath remodels. Bath Fitter. 